we're in a series about healing right now. And that raises so many questions. On the one hand, those of us who are just human can't help but seek healing. Duh, right? If you're sick, you want healing. And if you're a parent and your kid's sick, you want healing. And if someone you love is sick, you want healing. So it seems like a no-brainer that as a Christian, since you believe in a good God, you're going to be praying for healing. So far, are we good? And also, it seems the case that in our experience, not everyone gets healed. So then we have questions, don't we? And it's, it's, it's just the way the human brain works that we come up with theories. Why? Why was this person healed and not this person? Why, was this, why did this young person die and this old person get healed at a, at a conference of something that was just an ache or a pain? And this young person with this debilitating disease, this four-year-old kid dies of cancer. What is going? We don't. I'll be honest with you, I don't have answers to those kinds of questions, not answers that solve the problem. I live with mystery. But when, you, when, you, when we do a series where we we'd say, God is a God of redemption, God is a God of healing, it touches people's wounds. It touches your griefs, it touches your wounds. And some of us wouldn't even want to go to a conference about healing because we lost people. And the t- it's not that we disagree that God does it today. It's that it touches an emotional wound, and I don't even want to think about it. Not everyone. Some of us. I'm saying this gets complicated fast. And then here's the topic I want to broach today. Those of us who believe in healing and who want to obey Jesus, we want to follow Jesus, we want the same life that Jesus said we could have when he said, follow me. And those of us who believe that know that we're then plunged into risk and stretching. That means, that means we're going to be pouring our life out serving others to bring the kingdom. I don't know if we we knew we were doing that when we signed up to say yes to Jesus, but that's what we were signing up for. So I want to ask you this question. This is something we bump into. Those of us who believe in healing often say God would never give anyone sickness. Have you heard that? That's not biblical. I'm going to read you a couple passages. Now, the point of today is not to say that God gave you a knee pain because you didn't pray enough. That's the opposite of my heart and the opposite of what I believe. But we have to form our beliefs from what the Bible says, not from what we wish was true. Here we go. You guys remember 1 Samuel chapter 5? The ark of God is captured by the Philistines. And then they set up the ark in the temple of their God, whose name is Dagon. And the next morning, Dagon is on his face in front of the ark as though he's bowing down in worship. 
So the Philistine priests, they, they shove him back up. It's embarrassing for our God to need our help, but there we are. Propping their God back up. Hope he didn't break. The next day it falls down again, and finally it's like he's busted. He keeps falling down before the ark of Yahweh. Another thing happens, verse 6 of 1 Samuel 5. The Lord's hand was heavy on the people of Ashdod and the vicinity. He brought devastation on them and afflicted them with tumors. I'm not trying to build a whole theology on this. But somehow this has to fit into our theology. They dishonored the Lord, believed their God, defeated the Lord, and as a consequence, they had hemorrhoids. The translation of tumors is just being polite. Everyone in Ashdod just, you too? What happened? I don't know. I don't know what. I don't know. We beat those Jews. High fives. That's good theology right there. This right here. Yeah, but Tim, that's... I can hear somebody saying this. Yeah, but Tim, that was in the old covenant. In the... New covenant, God's in a much better mood. He's still the same God. That's good theology. Jonathan had good theology. He said, He's still the same God. So, this, listen, this is new covenant. This is New Testament. Revelation. Can you get more New Testament than the last book? The youngest book in the New Testament, meaning it was the last one written. Revelation chapter 2, this is Jesus speaking. This is Jesus speaking. Revelation 2, starting at verse 20. But I have this complaint against you. You're permitting that woman, that Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet, to lead my servants astray. She teaches them to commit sexual sin and to eat food offered to idols. I gave her time to repent... Verse 21, I gave her time to repent, but she does not want to turn away from her immorality. Therefore, I will throw her on a bed of suffering, and those who commit adultery with her will suffer greatly unless they repent and turn away from her evil deeds. Okay, I know. Just brace yourselves, people. Put your little emotional seatbelt on for the next verse. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know. Then all the churches will know that I am the one who searches out the thoughts and intentions of every person. And I will give to each of you whatever you deserve. This is the word of the Lord. Now that's not the dominant theme We don't see Jesus in his earthly ministry doing that a single time. In fact, I could point you to a whole bunch of verses. I got chunks, whole chapters 
where it says, and everyone who came to Jesus seeking healing was healed, and all those who had demons were healed, and everyone who touched him was healed. And even when someone who was not his assignment, because he was sent to the Jewish people, even when a Syrophoenician woman comes to him to rescue my daughter, please rescue my daughter, and he says, hold up, it's not right for me to give the children's bread to dogs. Ooh, ouch. She refuses to be offended at that. Clearly racial slur. I think he was testing her, not actually angry at her. And she says, but sir, even the children eat the crumbs that fall under the table. And he laughs and says, woman, you have your answer. You have great faith. Your daughter is healed. And from that moment, the daughter was healed. That is actually the dominant picture we have of Jesus. If you are seeking him, if you are seeking him, you're going to receive favor. But if you are rebellious and irreverent and hard-hearted and wicked and promoting ungodliness, you should not expect to receive the same response from the Lord Jesus. Can we factor that into our equation? Now, here's what these passages raise to us. The Pharisees knew their Bibles. The disciples knew their Bibles. So they assumed if someone's sick, they must have sinned. Are you with me? That's, that's bad logic. Our error is it's always the devil. That we, that's, our, that's our theology. You got a headache, the devil. You were late for work, the devil made me lose my hat. You know? You burn your hand, oh, the devil shoved my arm. You know? Someone gets cancer, we know it's the devil. Someone, anything. The devil, the devil, the devil. Uh, let me suggest to you, <laughs> we got to stop glorifying the devil by giving him credit for stuff that's just a consequence of people are dumb sometimes and the world is broken. There's not that, he's not everywhere, he's just an angel, right? He's not, he's not the opposite of God, he's the opposite of Michael. So, <laughs> so if Michael can't even get to Daniel with an answer very quick, or Gabriel rather, can't get to, can't get to uh, the prophet Daniel with an answer then it's just very unlikely that the devil is doing all the stuff people give him glory for. Well, giving him credit for stuff he didn't do is glorifying him, is what I'm saying. You're bad-mouthing him. So things can have a bunch of causes. Here's, what, here's let me give you an example. Let's say Stan is just walking around the sanctuary, and I, because I'm really mean, I just shove him and he falls down, and then I laugh and run away. And he goes, dang it, Tim, why would you do that? Well, then the next day he's at his house all by himself and he falls down again. What if he then says, dang it, Tim, you got me again. And I'm not even there. I'm, I'm in my house. If every single time, just because I can push him down one time doesn't mean every time he falls down, I pushed him. Or even that he was pushed. There's a lot of reasons somebody can fall down. Just because Jesus brings judgment 
on a false teacher who's seducing saints into false doctrine and sexual immorality. That's big deal stuff, guys. Just because Jesus brings severe discipline on her, notice he doesn't just kill her and take her to hell. What does he say? I've given her time to repent. That's more mercy than I'd give if I was calling the shots. Then he allows her to experience suffering and those who are doing what she's doing to experience suffering in the hopes that the suffering will wake them up and they'll quit it. If you're you're thinking wrong, you won't see the mercy. You'll be offended that Jesus isn't a hippie in a dress, just dispensing hugs and candy. And that's what some people seem to picture Jesus as. When the real Jesus is intimidating. If you've studied the universe, you'll know that in 200 million years traveling at light speed, we could hardly get across our little galaxy, which is massive to us. And 100 years ago, we thought the whole universe was made up of our galaxy. And 500 years ago, we still hadn't even mapped the planet. And the bigger it gets, the bigger Jesus should look in your mind. He's not to be trifled with. He's not fooled. You can't manage him and manipulate him the way you can your wife, your boss. He sees through all my games. Everything's uncovered to him. And he's not mocked. Are, Are we okay? Okay. But just because... That might be something that can happen. God can bring judgment as a discipline. Just because he can doesn't mean every time someone is sick, that's what's happening. And, so that's the one error. And our error is probably the opposite. Every time something bad happens, it's the devil. Like, like, it's possible that the reason I'm sick is because I have an unhealthy lifestyle. And I don't exercise, and I don't get enough sleep, and I drink too much caffeine, and I take in all sorts of sugar, and I'm overweight. My cardiovascular, I'm not talking about me in particular, although I do probably, I do, my doctor says my cholesterol is too high, and she wants me to go get blood work done. And I don't see the point, because I didn't change anything, so I don't expect it to be different this year. Just saying. (sighs) But that's a logical explanation. And then there's this one. We're in a broken, fallen world. I was reading in 2 Corinthians the other day, and Paul says, I long, I long, I long to no longer be in this body, which is so frail, and it's wasting away. I long to receive my glorified body. I long to have a home in heaven. As long as we are at these bodies, he says, we're not fully at home with the Lord. And our goal is not to die, but rather to really live. And Jesus one day will return and he'll transform everything and we'll no longer be under the conditions of sin and death. Until then, we're going to be praying for some sick people. You hear me? Yes. Until then, we're going to be reaching the lost. Yes. Until then, we're going to be in a war. Yes. Until then, we're going to be tempted. Amen. I love this. He says, um, Thomas Hopko, 
He says, have no other expectation than to be bitterly tempted until your last breath. And I thought, why would he say that? And then I go, oh, I know why. Because self-pity is the, uh, the other option. Oh, poor me, I'm still tempted. I can't believe I didn't wake up happy with people handing me things to eat that taste good. I have to go to work. <laughs> okay. Why? The whole creation is groaning, Romans 8. How about that as one of the main things? That, that, why, why, why are you sick? Who sinned? The devil? You did it? Somebody's God punishing you? What if most of it is we're in a fallen world? Yeah. Like somebody rear-ended Carrie while she was door dashing the other day. While I was talking to her on the phone, no, it wasn't the cause of the accident. She was at a yield. The person behind her was looking left, assuming she was going, but it wasn't clear. Bam. And then she's like, oh, my word, my neck. And you know her neck's about as thin as my pinky, so you've you got to be concerned. <laughs> I'm not sure how her big head can fit on that little neck. It's just, I can't believe I said that in, in public. But it, it sounded like it was going to be funny, and then when I said it, it felt mean. I love you, and you're beautiful. Please don't. But why did that happen? Was God punishing Carrie? We're just in a fallen world. The lady felt terrible. And then she was obsessive over the uh, insurance information. Let me read you some Bible. More Bible. John chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. Book of John, chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. As Jesus went along, he saw a man who was blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? Who sinned? Notice it was not the Pharisees asking this. It was his disciples. Who Somebody, some, who's to blame? Are you like that? When something goes wrong, is your default to look for who's at fault? I am. It's not good. Anxiety creates blame. I've learned from looking at my own self. Anxiety, my anxieties create blame. I don't like this thing, and I'm afraid of that thing, and whose fault is it? It's your fault. And it's so human. Bad thing happens to a person. We go, oh, well, you know, you had it coming. They deserved it. Which is what I said jokingly about Jacob's ducks getting decimated by his dog. They were little cute baby sweet ducks. And I said, well, you got to admit, they did have it coming. No, they didn't. That's why I made the joke. Because I have a twisted, dark sense of humor. Who sinned? See, they've got this mindset. They see something wrong and they try to figure out whose fault it is. Whose fault is this? This guy's blind. Who sinned? And then they go, maybe it was his parents' sin. Could have been his parents. And you know that that's actually not crazy because a lot of us are bearing the consequences of our parents' sin. Just saying, we are. I don't mean before God. That's not how God works. But I mean in our lives. We inherited some crap. There's grace for it. There's healing for it. But we, we inherited some stuff. So I'm, I'm saying the disciples aren't crazy to ask these questions, even though Jesus is about to say you're wrong. Rabbi, who sinned this man or his parents said he was born blind? And then Jesus says, neither this man 
nor his parents sinned. This happened to display the works of God. In the Greek, it just says, neither this man nor his parents, but let God be glorified. Some translations make it as if God planned the sickness so that he could do the miracle, but that's not in the Greek. That's reading into the text. The Greek just says, neither, but let God be glorified, which shows me that Jesus doesn't view calamity as a reason to get anxious and look for who to blame, but he views calamity as an opportunity to bring the glory of the Father to the situation. That's how he thinks. That's how Jesus sees you. That's how he sees what you're looking at. He sees everything as the opportunity to bring the goodness of the Father to bear. It's natural for me to look for who to blame. I like the way Jesus thinks. Yeah, and the Father. He's showing the Father. Then he says... As long as it's day, we must do the works of him who sent me. In other words, this is not just a one-time thing. This is his whole mindset. Every day he's here bringing goodness of the Father to bear on a broken world. This is the time. This is the one opportunity that you and I have to trust God. We won't need to walk by faith when we have sight. This is also the one opportunity we have to bring the presence and the goodness of the Father into a broken world. We won't have that opportunity on the other side. This is daytime when we are to be working. But we got to get a different mindset. One that sees brokenness as the opportunity. After saying this, he spat on the ground and he made mud (laughs) with the saliva and he put it on the man's eyes. I'm not saying you have to do that. And I will say that if you try to do that to me, I'm going to check real hard to see if that was really the Lord leading you or not. <laughs> Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. And the word Siloam means sense. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. And there's so many principles in this text. Like one of the main principles is Jesus usually gives the person receiving healing... Something to do. He doesn't want passive people. Even in your own healing, he usually has something for you to do because faith needs an activity. I don't know why it does, but faith needs an activity. It's kind of similar to James saying, you know, faith without works is dead. Faith needs an activity. One time, Stan told me a story that somebody came to pray for his eyes The dude said, uh, what sin are you in, Stan, that you haven't been healed yet from this? Is that correct, Stan? Yeah. Dude said, you know, Stan, you, you probably got prayer already. You ain't been healed yet. Problem must be you. What sin are you in, Stan, that you ain't healed? Now, can I just let you know that if that's how you pray for the sick, you're not going to be on our prayer team for a while until you stop that and get healthier. We had one guy who was not on the prayer team come up to the front and 
and and tell Matt Matt Borders that the reason his wrist was hurting him too much in carpal tunnel was because he didn't have his devotions. And I was like, oh, brother. I was like... I was like, this dude right here, <laughs> this brother right here, <laughs> he, oh, help. And Stan said, it's really good that I have a strong sense of identity. I know who I am in Jesus. Because that would have toppled me. What does that mean? A beeping. Did I do something? Is that my alarmer going? Tim is now up to temperature. <laughs> when you're going through something really hard, you're vulnerable. When you're going through something really hard, you're vulnerable. Yes, you are. When you're going through a trial, you're vulnerable. Yes. And if you don't really know where you stand in Jesus... You might be tempted to listen to the voice of the accuser who can cherry-pick some verses like the one I read from Jesus in Revelation 2 or the one I read from the Old Testament, 1 Samuel 5. The enemy knows the Bible. And I don't mean the devil, there's minions. And I don't mean the little yellow guys. Okay, that would be funny, though. And the voice of the accuser knows the Bible, as we know from the temptation scene with Jesus. Yeah, how many Christians are scared when they're young that they've committed the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? It's the one sin in the world that Jesus says is unforgivable. Every other sin, really what Jesus is saying there should give us hope that no matter what we've done, there's mercy. But instead, because we're so anxiously minded, we go, oh, I've probably committed it. I don't know what it is, but I've probably done it and I'm not... In a similar way, when you're going through a trial, you're vulnerable. You're vulnerable. So Stan says, it's really good that I know the gospel and I know who I am in Christ so that I wasn't shaken by that dude being like, oh, he must have sinned. Stan is a man of God with integrity. And he's serving God faithfully, and he's growing by leaps and bounds. I've seen the boy change before my very eyes. It kind of ticks me off to hear that kind of stuff. So it's like you kind of want to ask someone like that. So you're saying that if not everything in my life is perfect, God must be displeased with me in some way. And they would go, yeah, probably. And it's like, that's not helpful. I've, I've, I've railed on that long enough. Okay. Here's a passage. Linda asked on Wednesday night, if, if, just to let you know, Wednesday was... Let's see, that's not words, that's sound effects. Let me try that again. Wednesdays are almost always really good. This last Wednesday, Linda came and talked about the Word. And she challenged us with a question. What scriptures are foundational to you? And she said hers were Psalm 1 and what? Proverbs 3, I'm sorry, 4. Yep. But the one that you come back to almost all the time is Psalm 1, which is, blessed is the man who doesn't listen to all the stupid stuff, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, the Word, the Bible. And he meditates on that, that, the Bible, 
day and night, and therefore, because of that, he's a tree planted by streams of water, brings forth its fruit in every season, and its leaf doesn't wither. And you're standing on that. This was one of mine. This, this comes up for me all the time. Acts chapter 10. We're almost done. Acts chapter 10, 36 through 38, it's Cornelius preaching Jesus. I'm sorry, it's Peter preaching Jesus to Cornelius. Peter says, you know the message that God sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and how he went around doing good and healing, doing good, went around doing good, went around doing good. That's interesting. Went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. That's sort of, for me, been like big verses. That, that if I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, that's what I'll be doing. Because before Jesus was baptized in the Holy Spirit, and you go, what? Yeah, check it out. It was at his baptism in the water that the Spirit came and boom, then rested on him. And before that, he worked a regular job. Nobody knew him. And then after that, he was launched into this, doing good. He went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the evil one because God was with him. Think about how many people Jesus healed that their theology would have said, God must have made him sick to build a character. Because again... That's one of the reasons, that, that's one thing that can happen. So they took one thing that can happen and they made it the thing that must be always happening. Did I lose you? Well, it's like I said, just because I shoved Stan down and I'm so mean and then I laughed, doesn't mean every time he fell down I pushed him. There's all sorts of causes. So Jesus shows up and he heals all these people. Like, remember the one? It's like 38 years. Goes into the synagogue, heals somebody who was sick 38 years. And you go, you've been in synagogue. You know they prayed. And you know that after they prayed, they must have concluded God must want them sick because we prayed and it didn't happen. But then Jesus shows up and suddenly he's healed. Did God change his mind because Jesus came? This passage, has cha- this passage and passages like it changed my theology. I stopped viewing what happens must be God's will, and I started saying what happens in the life of Jesus must be God's will. And my view of God's character changed. Not my theology of healing changed. My view of God's character changed. I go into the hospital. I pray for the little girl with cancer, and she dies. I'm not saying every time, but I'm saying it, that, stuff, that stuff gets you. Here's what I know for a fact. Jesus goes into that hospital. She doesn't die. Which must mean, which must mean that it really wasn't necessarily God's will for her to die. 
That means I don't look to what life's like in a fallen world to see what God is like. I don't even look to my own life story to see what God is like. I don't look to see what's happening in the news to see what God's will is. I don't look around to see what God's doing lately and go, oh, all this is happening, this all must be God's will. What does Jesus teach us to pray? Our Father, in the heavenly realms all around us, let your name be regarded as holy, one. Let your kingdom come, no, two. And let your will be done. And all three of these things on earth, the way they're already happening in heaven. Why would he tell us to pray for them to happen if they automatically are happening? In other words, God's will is often not being done on earth. Even in the life of a saint. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're not wrong. Yeah. And Luke was a doctor. And Luke's primary gift doesn't seem to be miracles, but medical assistance and taking really detailed records. And that's valid. That might be a part of the going around doing good. I want supernatural miracles. But like Carl was pointing out the other day, let's make sure we don't neglect the just simple doing good. We, we belong to Jesus. Okay, let's mow that widow's yard. I'd like to carry because we need to make a list of certain things that we can do to support some people that need our help. Okay. Uh, Jay, can I mention you? Or would you like to say it yourself? If it's up to me, then I'm going to bring this right back here. What happened the other week? So I came here about three weeks ago for the first time, didn't know nothing about the church, sat in this spot, listened to him talk about healing, and something no one knows, maybe you do know, I have a lung disease. It's called sarcoidosis, something like that. I can't pronounce it. It makes it hard for me to breathe. I was told that I have 30% oxygen in my right lung. That's all I was producing. I can breathe now. He didn't even pray on me. I just listened to what he said and believed. It was that simple. Like, it's not rocket science. It's your belief. I had faith in what he was saying. And I grew up in church my whole life and seen things happen, but never had an experience like that before. And because I believed, my relationship with God got even stronger. And I didn't have one before I came to this church. But I have one now. Thanks, Jay. Appreciate that. I, I don't like for us to be God's defender. I'm tempted to do it. You know what I mean by be God's defender? Something broken is happening in the world and we go, well, maybe God is doing this. Maybe God saw that we just needed to blah, blah, blah. Or this one. I hear this one a lot. It drives me crazy. Maybe God just needed another angel in heaven. And I'm like, maybe I needed another slap to your face on earth. <laughs> I don't think it's good for us to try to fill in the blank of the unknown with our theories that end up painting in our, in our efforts to, to, well, defend God, basically, for some broken thing in the world, 
Are you, am I making sense? Yes. It, it's like, leave the blank open. I've even defended God to people attacking God. And the Holy Spirit rebuked me. Well, I, by people, I mean one specific girl. She was there and she's like, I did my part and God didn't do his part and he's not answering me and I don't understand and I'm so mad at him. And I, was, I wanted to be like, are you sure you heard the Lord? You probably didn't. I mean, there's two sides to that phone call and more likely it's on your end than on the Lord who is perfect and you're obviously not. And I started defending the Lord and the Holy Spirit like almost yelled at me and he said, stop defending me. You're invalidating her pain. And I can't reach her heart if you invalidate her feelings. I am not intimidated by her, by her anger at me. I would rather have genuine relationship with her where she's mad and we talk it out and work it out. I've got this, Tim. Get out of the way. You are, in, you are at risk of crushing her faith. You best back off. And I was like, oh, my word. And I apologized to God. And then I apologized to her. And we continued and had a really good time after that. Let's not fill in the blanks. Let, let people have the questions and send them to God with the questions or at least validate the questions. On a cold winter morning in 1925, in a schoolyard in Scranton, Pennsylvania, a group of rosy-cheeked children laughed gleefully as they chased each other around the tall oak tree. Little girls giggled on the swing set as they swung higher and higher. And suddenly one little girl fell to the ground, crying as she clutched at her chest. Apparently she had just injured herself, but even as she wiped her tears, the adults who were supervising weren't that concerned. Nine-year-old Rafaela Serio continued to have pain near the invisible injury on her chest. Her parents were concerned, so they took her to see one doctor and then another. It appeared she had bruised the area near her left breast, but as the pain increased, a small lump formed and then grew to the size of an orange. Raphaela's parents called on a friend who was a pediatric specialist trained at Johns Hopkins University, and after administering several difficult tests, the doctor gravely pronounced the diagnosis. Little Raphaela Serio had sarcoma cancer of the left breast. The grieving parents watched as their precious daughter lost weight rapidly. The specialist determined that the cancer was rooted too deeply for surgery and said he could do little for the pain. There was also an open seeping sore, but since not much was known about cancer at the time, it was like 1920s, right? The doctor prescribed a special brown salve to be applied on the affected area every day, which would then be wrapped with clean bandages. And although they tried to be hopeful, Raphaela's doctors saw a slim chance for a recovery. It's every parent's nightmare. After months of ineffective treatment and worry, the Serios invited Raphaela's doctor to join them for dinner one Sunday afternoon. And as they quietly talked around the table, the doctor looked with very sad eyes at the sick little girl that he had been unable to help. Turning to the mom, he made an unusual statement for a doctor. There's a man holding special meetings in a large tent in Scranton, and he prays for people 
and they get well. Doctor, you got to be kidding. No, I'm not joking. I mean it. I had a patient with a large goiter who had been healed. She, she said that evangelist F.F. F. Bosworth prayed for her, and she was instantly healed. Mrs. Serio looked at the doctor in amazement, and he continued, Why don't you take little Raffaella down there? Maybe they can help her. So the Serios drove to Scranton that very night to hear F.F. F. Bosworth preach a sermon on Christ's salvation and divine healing. And they, they bought a copy of his book, Christ the Healer. They read the book out loud to Raphaela so that all three of them could try to understand the biblical promise of healing in Christ. With their faith greatly increased, the family drove back to the crusade the following Sunday. During the time of healing prayer, F.F. Bosworth stepped toward the little girl standing on the platform and prayed a beautiful prayer for God's healing power. He prayed that God would heal her and use her as a living monument for his praise and glory. And when they returned home later that night, Mrs. Serio got the salve out for the daily treatment. And Raphaela looked at her mom. Why? Where's your faith? Didn't you hear the man? Jesus healed me. I don't need any more bandages. I'm healed. No. The large lump and the swelling under her arm to her collarbone had not gone away, but the little girl had begun to see herself through the eyes of faith. There was little sleep for Miss Serio that night as she tossed and turned, worrying about her sweet girl. But the next day, when morning came, it came with a sense of newness of life. The morning sunlight revealed that all the swelling from the collarbone and under the arm was gone. And five days later, the lump was the size of a hickory nut. And shortly after that, it disappeared completely. Praise our wonderful, precious Jesus, the joyful mom cried. It was the summer of 1925 in the city of Scranton, Pennsylvania, and her little girl had been miraculously healed because a man preached complete salvation. Salvation for the mind. Salvation for the body. Salvation for the spirit. And God had been faithful to perform his word. Let's go ahead and have the prayer team come on up. Notice that. It's not just the body. Our God cares about whatever we're going through. Whatever we're going through. Whatever we're going through. Do you guys have any, anything that is on your heart to pray for? Start over here, Stan. I don't. I just, I, I just want, well, I just want to pray because the miracles that God did for my cousin this week, he can do any kind of miracle. It's not just physical, it's emotional, spiritual, any of it. So if you're going through any of that, I want to pray for that because he can do anything. Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, everyone's quiet. Yep. quiet. Excellent. And if nobody comes forward, you know your assignment is to go out.
and gently inquire of people, may I pray with you? Because if we're too aggressive, it might be like, you know what I'm talking about? Like if you come up on people all aggressive, it might be how like, well, I know somebody who's aggressive, but I'm not going to name any names. Let's pray. Go ahead and stand. Father, I thank you. I thank you for the gospel. I thank you for Jesus. I ask that a mighty rushing wind of your spirit would flow through every heart, every heart in Jesus' name. I ask God for faith to rise back up where disappointment has set in, where what we thought when we read the book but then didn't happen in our life, where what we didn't see in our life is speaking louder than your truth, I ask for faith to rise up again in Jesus' name. This is the day. This is the time. Now is the hour of salvation. We don't live in the past, and we don't live in the future. We live all the way here, fully present with you in this moment, God. I'm going to give you guys just about 30 seconds to say whatever's on your heart to God. Yes, God. What's the burden on your heart? What, is there something you're carrying? If there's something you're carrying, don't just carry it. Offer it to the Lord. Talk to God about it. Talk to God about it. You can turn the music up. Take a minute. Do some business with God. If you want to pray for each other, feel free to do that. If you want someone to pray with you, you can come on up. Amen.